chapter 3, and I'm going to do something that we don't normally do, but I want to encourage you uh, to join me. I'm going to have you stand as we read God's Word, um, just out of reverence and respect for it. You know, there's, there's nothing uh, greater than to have a respect for God, but, but even greater uh, upon that is the fact that He gave us His Word uh, to speak to us from, all right, to give us direction, to give us guidance. So as you stand with me, we're going to be 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11, and listen to what uh, he says here. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love who? One another, all right? So this is a message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers, and anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. And this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gives us. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that you would speak to us through your word. God, that you would be first and foremost in everything, that your son would be glorified, that his name would be lifted up. God, that we would see what it means to love one another. We would see what it means to love in action. We would see what it means to be in you, to be a child of God, to be in Christ, to walk in the light. And so, God, I pray today that your word would transform us, that your spirit would convict us, that, God, you would be made much of, and that we would see the truth about who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. And so, Father, we pray today that in everything, that the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit would be praised and lifted. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you have, again, your Bibles, I want to continue to follow along. But we're, we're really good at putting conditions on love, are we not? I would, I would say this in a society today, we have prenuptial agreements to protect individuals in case they don't really love a person. We have certain contracts that we set up so that if for some reason this person violates this contract, then we can get out of it. Matter of fact, nowhere can you see that more than what takes place in professional sports. We sign a four or five year contract, we do really good, and then we decide, hey, guess what? You know what? You didn't pay me enough, so therefore I'm going to hold out. Matter of fact... Um, my son is part of our fantasy football, anybody fantasy football fans, all right? My son, he, he got into it this year with us, and I told him, I was like, dude, you got to take Le'Veon Bell. I'm thinking the whole time Le'Veon Bell will get his contract uh, negotiated. He'll be playing by the first or second week. Um, here he is now, we're, what, we're like nine weeks, ten weeks in, um, and my son's number one draft pick uh, 
is not playing. So <laughs> you probably you never listen to me again when it comes to drafting your fantasy football team. But uh, anyways, those are just some of the things. So we have contracts in case somebody breaks this agreement. But, but listen, we're really good at putting conditions on love, are we not? Matter of fact, I would even say it to this point in a certain extent, and I, and I heard somebody echo it earlier, but I can't wait for Wednesday. Because after Tuesday, we won't have to see any political ads, at least for about six months. And then they'll start them up for the 2020 election about 18 months out. You know how that works. Um, So we'll have a six-month reprieve, um, and we'll have all kinds of things. But what I can tell you is this. In the midst of what I've seen, in the midst of the, and I'm going to call it out as it is, the lies on both sides, in the midst of trying to communicate certain ways, shapes, or forms through statistics, we try and use statistics to get our point across, we have set out to show that we really don't love each other. And I would even say that as an American culture, but I would even say it sometimes as Christians. We don't really love each other because love is based upon conditions. If you think like me, I'll love you. If you don't, then I'm not going to love you. Matter of fact, I, I had to block some people on Facebook recently because um, basically the statement was, if you think this way, um, I don't want to be your friend. So I was just like, hide. I'm not unfollowing you. I just don't want to see your posts. So, because I, I'm not going to put conditions on it. If you're a liberal Democrat, I'm going to love you. If you're a conservative Republican, I'm going to love you. The reality is if you make politics a bigger issue than what it really should be, you've idolized something and you have something else sitting on the throne of your heart. And so I'm just going to throw that out there. That's my political rant, my political statement. Um, And we're going to jump into the text and try and get into what this says. See, love is something that I believe is lacking greatly. True, unconditional love for others. And so as we look at this passage today, we're challenged by John to love one another. See, we see more and more people calling others out for love and tolerance, but at the same time being completely intolerant and completely unloving on their beliefs. Now, I will stand by and say this wholeheartedly. I believe that Scripture is very clear on certain things, that you do have to call out certain people on certain things. And we're going to stand on the truth of Scripture long before I'm going to stand on a political rhetoric, long before I'll ever stand on a political platform. I'm going to stand on what the Word of God teaches. And I would challenge you in the midst of everything that that's what you stand on in life. You cannot stand on anything else. If you stand on anything else, that is nothing more than what Jesus pointed out at one point in saying that's, a, that's not a firm foundation, that's sand. If you stand on anything else as the foundation of your life, if you stand on anything else as the foundation of your moral beliefs and your compass and direction in life, then you will fail at some point because the floods will come and the sand will be wiped away and the foundation will be insecure. But if I stand on the truth of God's word, then I know That in the midst of the storm, I will stand firm. I will stand strong. Why? Because God is the rock, just as we sung earlier. I will stand upon the rock of my salvation. A mighty fortress which cannot be shaken. That's the reality of what we see. So this is the message you have heard from the beginning is what John gets to. Okay, so in 1 John, what you see is the first couple chapters is John saying, hey, you want to know if you're in the light? This is how you know you're in the light. All right? He said you should renounce sin. He said you should, uh, as a result, be obedient. In the, in the midst of that, you're going to be walking. And now he jumps into 1 John chapter 3, and we talked about this last week. Now he's going to talk about what it means to be a child of God. And a child of God, last week we said, is going to face 
problems. He's going to face struggles. Why? Because Satan is at work. But, but remember that Jesus Christ appeared to destroy the devil's work. And that's what he said in 1 John chapter 3 in verse 8. But now he jumps to this other thing. He says, you want to know you're a child of God? Here's how you can know if you're a child of God. Do you love one another? Do you truly love one another? Listen to what he says in verse 11 again. This is the message you heard from the what? Beginning. In other words, God's foundation has never changed from the get-go that you should love. This is the message he taught from the very beginning. From the very beginning of time, God loved us so much that he was going to provide a way. When Adam and Eve made the mistake and ate from the fruit and sinned as a result of that, God wasn't surprised. God wasn't blown off course. God didn't have to go, oh man, i got to change my plan. God said, guess what? Because I love them, there's going to be a price that's going to be paid, and eventually it's going to be paid by my son, Jesus Christ. He knew that from the get go. So this is the message you have heard from the beginning. This is the reality of what's taking place and God wants to communicate that. So John is trying to say here is the big picture. The message you have heard from the beginning. I love this because when I coach baseball, we have stressed the basics over and over and over and over and over again to the point where we had a couple of the boys last year look at us and went, you never told us that. And it was like, oh my gosh. We've been saying that from the beginning. It just finally registered with you. It's just finally clicking in. And the reality is that's what takes place in our life. All throughout our life, God is saying, look, this is the message I've taught from the beginning. Here's the truth. Here's the reality that you should love one another. Why? Because God loved us first. And so he's laying out the truth of this message. He's saying this is the point. This is the big idea. And all of a sudden, there's something in our brain that goes, oh. You never said that before. And God goes, yes, I did. I've been saying it from the beginning. This is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we ought to love one another. Here's one of my biggest struggles, and I believe wholeheartedly in in church. I want to applaud you. I want to appreciate you. I want to let you know how much I love the fact that we don't let this become an, an, an issue. But I want you to understand that conflict within the church is the very thing that will separate and create problems, and it's usually as a result of not a love for a brother, but it's a result of selfishness and self-centeredness. And the reason I want to applaud you is this, that we have laid aside our preferences, and we say this wholeheartedly. Look, if if I was to go in and do some of the changes that we accomplished here, and I I know I gave you the prenuptial agreement, all right, you remember, for those of you who are here when you voted on me, I gave you the prenup. I basically said, look, here's the deal. If you're voting on me, this is the way it's going to be. If you don't, that's fine. Just don't vote for me. But I want to thank you for this, is that we never let conflict become the priority. We didn't focus on, selfish, focus on selfishness and selfish ways. But we strive to do everything for God. Everything for the glory of Jesus Christ. See, the people that John was writing to were probably just trying to keep their heads alive their, their, or, or keep their heads above water because of everything that's gone on. They've lost friends. They've lost people out of their church because these people came in and said, look, first of all, Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Second of all, Jesus isn't the only way. So he's got all of these things going on. And, and so these people are, are kind of just in shock. But John says, look, here's the deal. Here's the reality. 
The message you have heard from the beginning is to love one another, to love another brother, to love the brothers. Listen, we should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. See, here's the reality. And we're gonna jump into this. I wanna give you the main statement. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this is this. Love is seen in our actions with others and our obedience to Christ. Love is seen with our actions or in our actions with others and in our obedience to Christ. That's the reality of what love is, okay? I represent Christ to others, so how I treat others is a great story or a great proclamation about what I believe. So love is seen in my actions with others and in my obedience to Christ. That's how I show it. So here's the question. What is real love? All right? And I think we're going to identify this. We're going to kind of identify what real love is based upon what 1 John is saying or what the, what the apostle is saying here. Number one is this. Real love is countercultural. True love, true Christ-centered love is countercultural. I, I think it was a couple weeks ago I told you about one of my favorite coffee mugs growing up was like a single little white fish. It was just a plain white fish. You know, the typical Christian ichthus fish on this coffee mug with a bunch of fish that were, you know, just different colors going one way and the white fish going the other way. And it said, go against the flow. That was a mug. I mean, we had hot tea every morning. My mom was a tea person. We had hot tea every morning and I would drink my hot tea through that growing up as a kid. But that was one of my favorite mugs. But real love is countercultural. It goes against what everybody else is telling you. Matter of fact, I'll even say it this way. There are people who claim to be loving People are saying we should just love everybody, we should accept everything, but in reality, when you stand on the truth of God's word, those people will now say, well, we don't love you. Listen, you can love somebody and not agree with them. I hope you hear that out. God never calls you to compromise. God never calls you to change his word. God never calls you to not stand on the foundation. You can love somebody and disagree with them. You can disagree with their lifestyle. You can disagree with their actions. Because their actions may not bear true love in the first place. Because love is counter cultural. Listen to what he says again. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Listen to me. Nowhere have I ever seen. Let me, let me erase that. Have you ever been in a circumstance or situation where you know you did something wrong? But you were mad at somebody else. It's like, I know I'm out of line, but I don't care because I'm mad at you. That's the reality of what took place with Cain and Abel. See, Cain knew he was wrong. Cain knew he brought the wrong sacrifice. Cain knew he came with wrong motives. And as a result, because his brother came with right motives, because his brother was honoring to God, what does Cain do? He kills his brother. And so true love is counter cultural. It's going to go what, against what feels right, what feels normal, what feels acceptable. As a matter of fact, there's going to be a point in time where culture is going to say, hey, this is okay, but the reality is it's not. True love goes against the flow because true love is based not upon my feelings. It's based upon the foundation of who Jesus Christ is and what God says is primary. That's how true love is countercultural. 
That's why in a political system we can sit back and when people say, and, and I'll be honest with you, I'm, 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 I believe today is even Sanctity of Life Day. It's a recognition of it. And I have a hard time with a group of individuals who want to stand up and celebrate slaughtering innocent babies. And that's not a political statement. That's a life statement. Because when you're willing to fight for the life of an immigrant or you're willing to fight for the life of a prisoner, but you're not willing to fight for the life of a baby, there's an issue. That's a love issue. My sin, listen to me, my sin, my mistakes, does not free me than to make another mistake to correct the sin that I did in the first place. So hear me out on that. That's not, like I said, you can take it as a political statement all you want, all right? But that's not a political statement. That's called sanctity of life. Matter of fact, there's a point in the Bible where it says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. When we try and play God, which is really what we do, when you try and play God, you end up going down the wrong road. And please spare me the, 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 the oh, you don't understand women's rights. I understand women's rights. What about a child's rights? What about the child who didn't have the choice? What about the child who, I mean, I'll, I'll just throw this out there. Tim Tebow, I know, Broncos. You realize Tim Tebow's mom was, was recommended, she was told you should get an abortion. Your son is going to be messed up. He needs to get an abortion. Or you need to get an abortion because he's not going to make it. God can work in, in miraculous ways. And I'll be honest, I, look, I struggle with this, but I, I want you to understand this too. Do you realize that the adoption industry, how much it charges a typical family to adopt? In the United States, it's between fifteen dollars and $25,000 to adopt a baby. Sometimes it increases. If you go overseas to adopt, you're looking at between twenty-five dollars and $50,000 depending on the country. It's astronomical. And so I may be preaching to the choir, but I want you to think about this. True love is based upon not the culture's views, but it's countercultural. Why? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. You cannot discredit somebody who's righteous just because your actions were equal. You can't say, well, I'm not going to, or, or, or evil. You have to hold yourself accountable. God's going to hold you accountable. And listen to what he says in verse 13. Don't be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Here's the reality. I'm, and I'm, I, look, I want to be the one who wants to be loved as well, as much as anybody else. I want people to like me. But here's the truth, according to Scripture, according to what Jesus says. Look, Jesus said, point blank, if they will hate me, they're going to hate you. We do live in a society that I would say in, 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 in a lot of ways shows hatred towards Christians. Here's what I also want to tell you. You know it's going to happen because Jesus said it was going to happen. So why get bent out of shape? Why flip out? Pray. Greater is he who lives in me than he who lives in the world. So don't flip out. Don't get bent out of shape. Focus on this. Because listen to what he says in verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. And anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that mur no murderer has eternal life. Here's the reality. If true love or real love is countercultural, then we see it played out in this. We can't hate 
other people, but rather we walk in love. We walk in love with a brother. We agree with a brother. Anyone who does not love remains in death. It doesn't mean I have to accept what they do, but I walk in love. Real love is countercultural. Number two, real love is sacrificial. And I love this section of this, this part of the text. Listen to what it says in verse 16 again. This is how we know what love is. I want to ask you this question. You don't have to answer it. It's a rhetorical question. How do you know what love is? Did you see it lived out before you? Because the reality is, depending on how you grew up, if you grew up in an unloving family, to you, love may be skewed. It may be different. It may be, man, this, you know, I've never really seen love. For somebody who grew up in a very loving family, your love or idea of love may be completely different. But listen to this. There is a standard with which we understand or define love. And this is what he says again. This is how we know what love is. Agape love. Unconditional love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Real love is sacrificial. A real love amongst other brothers lays down its life for somebody else. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So John is literally writing this out so they understand that Jesus was the perfect example of what love is. He saw our greatest need and he met our need and then he calls us out and he basically says this. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? So here's what John's trying to say. If you have a fellow believer who is in need and you have no pity, no grace, and no desire to serve him and help him out, there's no way the love of God is in you. Now, for the most part, usually, I mean, as I've seen most people, when you go and say, hey, we got a brother in need in the church, people are, are generous. People are gracious. People reach out and fill in that need. And that's a good thing. But I want you to understand that real love is sacrificial. So this is how it's played out. We do it not because we're great, grand, and wonderful. Look at what we did to sacrifice. We do it because we follow the example of Jesus Christ first and foremost. Because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. See, in Scripture, words and actions unite together to show love. And listen to what he says. Starting in verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. The title of the sermon is Love in Action. I can sit here and say I love somebody. Man, I love you. Man, I love, I mean, kind of, let's just play this out. I could say I love tacos. But if I never eat tacos, do I really love tacos? Like I could say I love my kids, but if I never was around my kids, do I really love them? Love is shown in actions, not with words. And the beauty of this picture is going back to, remember, Jesus Christ is the example of what love is, that Jesus' actions always produced love, and that's what he's calling us to do. Jesus went to the cross, production of love. Jesus hung on the cross and stayed on the cross, even though he could have called armies of angels to come down and rescue him. Jesus, nope, nope, he doesn't. He stays there. Why does he stay there? Because he saw our greatest, listen to this, need, not our want or desire. And here's the truth of the matter. When we see a need of a brother and we meet the need of a brother, we meet a need, not a want. And so when we do that, we 
exemplify, we live out the example that Jesus laid first and foremost for us. Jesus sacrificed himself for the good of mankind so that those who believe in Jesus Christ would not perish but have eternal life. That is sacrificial love. And John basically says, hey, here's the big picture. You're called to be a sacrificial person, a person who loves sacrificially. I even wrote this quote down. Andy Stanley wrote a book called, uh, well, I don't remember what it's called, Fool's Gold or something like that. I can't remember. Um, but I, I got this quote. If you see your brother in need, it doesn't matter if you already gave somewhere else. You should be open to the idea of God using you to meet your brother's unexpected need. See, what we have to get past is sometimes we go, man, I just don't know that I have it. I, I gave all of this out. But the reality is sacrificial love is a love that's lived with actions. And sometimes loving another brother may cost me, but it's okay because it costs Jesus far greater than anything it's ever going to cost me. Real love is sacrificial love. And so John lays this out. Listen, if you want to, 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 to understand what love is, you have to understand this, that love is seen in our actions with others and our obedience to Christ. See, loving a brother is not an option, but rather I just simply believe it's a fruit of a relationship with Christ. Verse 19, though, is listen to what he says. Love is evidence of a life transformed by Christ because he says, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our heart, hearts condemn us. Do you ever feel guilty? Do you ever feel the weight in your heart that my heart is condemning me for my actions? My heart is condemning me for things I've done. My heart is calling me out. But listen again what he says. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us. Here's how we set them at rest. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. See, real love is sacrificial love. And God knows the state, the state of your heart. God knows the condition of your heart. But I can set my heart at rest when I walk in obedience to God. And that's the last thing. Real love is obedience in action. So what is real love? We said love is seen in our actions with others and our obedience to Christ. What is real love? Real love is countercultural, number one. Real love is sacrificial, number two. And number three, real love is obedience in action. Listen to what he says. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have what before God? Somebody, somebody tell me. What is that? We have what? Confidence. If our hearts do not condemn us, all right, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. There is something that goes on here. There's a reality we have to get. The child of God who walks in the light, who obeys the love command and knows God, hears and answers his prayers. The reality is why do most of us struggle to have prayers answered? I think a lot of times it's because we don't walk in obedience. Do you walk in obedience in everything? Real love is obedience in action. And, and listen again to what he says. And we receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. Here's the reality. Most of our prayers are usually self-centered. And it's not about pleasing God, but it's about pleasing our selfish desires. And listen, I, I, look, I'm, I'm one of the 
I'll, I'll be honest with you. My selfish desire is that my dad would live a lot longer than I think he's going to. That's my selfish desire. I told you last week, every day, every morning, I get up, call my dad. Boom, 8 o'clock. My dad will tell you, like clockwork, eight, between 8 and 8.15, I call my dad. Every day. Well, that's not true. Sorry, Saturdays, my bad. Every weekday, I call my dad. I'll call him, as a matter of fact, this afternoon. I'll call him later. My desire, my selfish desire, is that he's going to live a lot longer than I think he ever will. Cancer wreaks havoc on a body. That's my selfish desire. But I also have to realize the reality of what we're called to, the reality of what life is. Life is short. Matter of fact, I did a funeral here yesterday. Life is short. Our, our life is a very short time. It's like a vapor. It's a mist. You're here one minute. You're gone another. My selfish desire is that God would answer my prayer that my dad would live a long, long life. That may be not the desire that God has. So listen to what he says. And receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. See, what pleases the Lord in the reality is this. Yeah, we walk in obedience with our life here on earth, but do you know what it pleases the Lord? When his saints are called home. When the people he's paid the price for have died and go to heaven. The fact that when we have a funeral that we don't celebrate a dead person, but we celebrate a living person if they are found in Christ. If they have a relationship with Christ, they are not dead, but they are with Christ in heaven. There is no greater joy than to experience that. And so real love is obedience in action. So if I want to have a transforming prayer life, my life has to be transformed by obedience first. And here's what happens. When I'm obedient to what God wants, when I'm obedient to God's word, then I pray God's will. I don't try and get God, I don't try and convert God over to my desires and my will, but God changes my heart and changes my desires so that I am in line with his will. That's the reality of what he's talking about here in prayer. That when we ask because we obey his commands, we receive from him anything. And we do what pleases him. And, and listen to what he says. And this is the command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. See, real love is obedience and action when we talk about this. But here is the greatest command he could ever get. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. So what is one of the greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he lays this in there and he says to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. That's obedience. In the midst of a world that says you don't need to believe in Jesus, you got to work for it, you got to strive for it, you can pay for it, if as long as you're good. Listen, I, there are so many different beliefs about eternal life and afterlife. But the reality of what Scripture teaches us, the reality of what the Bible is laying out is this. Apart from Christ, you are broken, you are sinful. You have no chance to be redeemed, no chance to be made righteous, no chance to have a relationship with God, no chance to go to heaven. But in Christ, you are redeemed, you are purchased, you are bought, you are paid for by the price of Jesus' blood on the cross. And it doesn't stop there because Jesus' death 
was just the beginning point because when his resurrection came about, that is what offers you life and life more abundantly. That is what offers you eternal life with Jesus Christ, the Son, in the presence of the Father to live with him eternity in heaven. And so real love, the real love of God starts at the belief in his Son, Jesus Christ. That's what he calls you to do. And listen to what he says in verse 24. Those who obey his commands live in him And he in them. In other words, I walk with Jesus. And he walks with me. What that does is goes back to the beginning. Remember where we started at? These are the words you heard from the beginning. The truth of the matter was Adam and Eve had a unique relationship that nobody else has ever had since then. You realize that? Is that they were walking in the presence of the Lord Right there, physically. And you can walk in the presence of the Lord spiritually when you walk in obedience to Jesus Christ and put your faith and trust in Him. Real love is obedience in action. And listen to what he says then at that point. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. See, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, there's something called the Holy Spirit the third part of the Trinity, the part that was present when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And when you are a believer, you put your faith and trust in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit is what convicts you. That Spirit is what calls out to you. When you're reading God's Word, it's the one that says, hey, hey, right here, you got to pay attention. you got to correct this. That Spirit, when you're walking in a way that's disobedient, is the very thing that is tugging at your heart, that's Pounding you in the forehead, maybe like just a simple drip or whatever, but it's saying, you better wake up, you're going the wrong way, you're doing the wrong thing, you're not supposed to be doing what you're supposed to do. That spirit is the one who says, hey, you got a brother in need, guess what? Meet the need. And so in the midst of walking in a relationship with Jesus, in the midst of believing in Jesus Christ, I received the spirit and he gave it to me so that I could know what he wants me to do. And that is where we're going to wrap up today because next week and the following week, you're going to see what is a result of living in the Spirit. What's it mean to be in the Spirit or to be controlled by the Spirit, the Spirit He gives us? And that's where we're going to jump in next week. But I want to ask you this question. Is your love a love of action? Because we can go back to this in verse 18. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Actions in truth, will always speak louder than words. That's the reality. That's the truth. That's what it means to be a child of God, is that I love in my actions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, that the words we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. God, that we know that we are to love you first and foremost. And just as you laid out the truth of what we see, that, it, that your greatest commandment is to, to love, to, to believe in the Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray if there's anybody here who's never put their faith and trust in Christ, there would just be a simple belief here. In the Bible, it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you'd be saved. So right where you're at, you can do that. There's no questions, there's no doubts. All you have to do is confess 
Confess that you are a sinner. Confess that you need Jesus, that you believe that Jesus died on the cross and that God rose, that he rose from the grave. You're saved. So maybe that's just a simple thing, but here's also the other thing is if you're a believer, I want to ask you just this very simple question. Are you living out love in action? Father, I pray today that you would convict us that maybe we've talked a good talk. Maybe we've talked up a big game. We, we say we love, but yet at the same time, maybe our actions sometimes don't line up with it. God, would you just, where we're at, convict each of us individually. God, show us where we can grow in our love. Show us where we can love you more and love others more as a result of what you're doing in our lives. So God, today we pray that you'd have your way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.